Well, good morning. Good to be together again uh, this morning. We are uh, continuing this week with our mission and our vision for our church. Uh, next week, we'll pick back up with uh, 2 Corinthians. But last week, we talked... Uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Before I get into this, I, I think probably most of us know, I just want to make sure all of us know, that Cliff Penner passed away this last week. And, you know, we're so excited for him, obviously, because he is really enjoying life right at this moment, right? But also it's a really uh, hard thing to, to lose someone we care about and love. And um, so definitely give anybody from the Penner clan an extra squeeze uh, this morning. Yeah, it just, I, it's been a week where I've been just reflecting on, um, I mean, I think many of us know that guys like Cliff, people like Cliff, we're standing on the shoulders of those people right now, right? Uh, the fact that we get to be here this morning is because people like Cliff were, were faithful for not just for a day or a week or a month or a year, but for decades they were faithful to uh, this body. And so um, just, yeah, very thankful. Quite a few moments of tears this week, but also just super, super, super excited for him. So uh, let me pray. Let me pray right now for the, the Penner family. Lord, we are um, just so thankful for... Um, for Cliff, for who he was as a person, but also just the amazing ways in which you used him in this body and in the lives of people in this body. We are jealous that, uh, that you are spending time with him and we're not. And so just hard to be experiencing that loss and particularly hard for his family to be experiencing that loss. And so we just, just show us ways to gather around them, to, to love on them. Just pray that this would be a sweet time. I know it already has been, but this would just be a sweet time of remembrance of him. And as we come together to spend time uh, kind of formally doing that in a memorial service, that we would just find ways to celebrate his life and to just truly mourn that loss. Thank you for who you are and who you were in his life. Pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, on to... This, our, uh, our, our, our mission, our vision. Last week, we talked through what I would probably qualify as our, uh, the mission of our church, which is really answering this question uh, right here. There it is, which is, uh, why do we exist? What do we see as our core mission here? Like, what are we doing here? And we talked about these three things, which you can see on these signs that we now have in the, in the hallway. The first is to equip the saints for the work of service or the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. That we see our primary role here as an equipping role. That the primary role of the church is not to bring unbelievers to faith, although that's you know, obviously a, a consequence that occurs of being equipped, but that our primary role is to equip saints to minister, because we are all ministers. Every single one of us are ministers. And while we think of maybe as a, a seminary, as a, uh, as a place to, that prepares ministers to go minister, that is not what it is at all. In fact, seminaries are preparing equippers to go equip. But churches are those who are preparing ministers to go minister. And that's what we are. And that each one of us have been gifted by God to minister, to serve. And so, um, so we're trying to do our best to equip you to use your gift uh, within the body and outside of the body. And so we want to be a place that's, that's your, your ministry outfitter, right? The one who equips you to minister um, as a spouse and uh, to minister to your family, to minister your, to your friends, to minister in your workplace, uh, to minister with each other here, that we want to be a place that equips. And that leads right into becoming like Christ. This is all from Ephesians 4. To become like Christ while maintaining unity and developing maturity. That the goal of, of equipping, of this equipping ministry is this unity in the faith, that we're bound together by this deep faith relationship, this deep trust we have in our Lord, and that our goal together as we minister to one another is to become more like Christ, that we're trying to reach the measure of the stature of Christ, right? That's done not 
autonomously, not in this personal relationship we have with Jesus Christ, which we have that personal relationship, but it's meant to be lived out in community, right? And so our goal together as we minister to one another is to be more and more and more like Christ and and mature in this relationship we have with Christ. And that should end up looking like love. So the last one is to share God's love with each other and with the world. If we were to sum up what growth looks like, it would be love. If we were to sum up what maturity looks like, it would look like love. If we were to sum up what deepening faith should look like, it should look like love. If we want to sum up what effective church ministry looks like, it should look like love. That is the goal, that that we should be known by not our theological knowledge, while that is great. We should not be known by our orthodoxy, which is great. We should be known by this unique Jesus-like love that we have. That's what should show up. And so our, our measure of if we are doing the things that we should be doing, if we're deepening our relationship with Christ, if we're growing in maturity, the measure of that should be, am I loving better this year than I did last year? Am I more like Christ and his love this year than I was last year? Are we as a church body more, more um, conformed into the image of his son and his ability to love and care for people than we were last year or the year before? And so this is our, our mission, right? Our mission as a church. But today's question is related to this, which is how can we best fulfill the purpose for which God still has us here? It is not a given that we should still be here. Every time we meet together, every time we get to open the church doors, it's a gift from God. We should not assume that this place is just going to continue to go on because it's gone on for decades. That is a bad assumption. The reason why we're here is because God still has a purpose for us here And so how can we best fulfill that purpose? How can we best accomplish the mission of the church? And so for us here at GCF, this is really a discussion about what our priorities are here, what our our distinctives are here at at our church, and how we might do things maybe a little bit differently than other churches with a similar mission that may do it a little bit differently, right? Right? And we might be doing things a little bit differently now than we did five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, and that's fine. And we're not saying that those things were bad then and and now we're good. It's just different. How are we choosing to do our mission today? How we choose to fulfill our mission five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now probably will look different than it does today. And that's okay. It It should be this thing that we can refocus our vision when we need to on what we see as our mission right now, as our vision right now. And so this, this vision that I'm going to recast this morning, um, the elders decided on this you know, over three years ago. I presented it three years ago, uh, and we're really just kind of rehashing it today. But what's interesting, um, I, I kind of like going through this because I don't always think about the things that have changed over time, but things have really changed since three years ago when we first cast this vision, and, and a lot of positive things have gone on, and we'll talk a little bit about some of that stuff. But I think having these discussions together is helpful when we get to looking at maybe um, changing how we do ministry or why we emphasize certain ministries and not other ministries and and, uh, why we might make a change to our facility in some way. Like it's easier to have those conversations when we have our vision firmly in front of us and, and in focus. And as we talk about these things, obviously there's, there's at times maybe disagreement over these things. Maybe, maybe you think may, that's, that's maybe something we shouldn't be focusing on. That shouldn't be what our vision is. I think our vision should be something like this. And that's fine. It's, it's okay to disagree about, about things. There's no problem with that. There's not, no sin in that. But we do need to make sure as we disagree that we do this. And this is a verse I, I showed last week because it's key. It says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Well, how in the world can any group of human beings band together and have the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose? And this is how it gets done. Verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. If we agree that we want to be a church, that we as individuals are willing to lay down our preferences for one another and lay down our comfort level at times for one another and lay down maybe some traditions I've always enjoyed, but I'm going to lay those things down for someone else. And if we're willing to lay down our lives for one another, there's absolutely nothing that can tear us apart. But if we're going to choose selfishness, if we're going to choose conceitedness, my idea is better than your idea. If we're going to choose to put ourselves over people instead of getting our knees and serving people, then that'll just tear us apart. Our enemy will win. And we don't want to be that. And thankfully I can say I don't think we are that. Let me pray for us as we get into this. Lord, Thank you so much for giving us the gift of being here, giving us the gift of, of continuing to exist as a church body, to continue to exist in this fellowship that we have with one another. As we deepen our relationship with you, Lord, it's just so great to come together every week. You know, I, I get excited <laughs> almost every Sunday to, to show up and be together, and it's just so good to be together as a body. As we talk about these vision priorities that are, um, are things that we're choosing right now to, to emphasize, Lord. I pray that you would, you would help maintain our unity and our love for one another as we just seek to serve one another with these things. And also help, us, help give us vision for, for how each one of us individually uh, might contribute to carrying out this vision. Uh, and in all of it, uh, may your spirit be the one who's, who's doing the work, and may you be the one who gets all the glory for it. pray this all in your name. Amen. So on your handout, there's just some questions maybe to be thinking about as we go through these. In what specific ways are we doing well in fulfilling our mission and vision? What is an idea that you have for how we can fulfill our mission and vision better than we're doing that now? Are there ways in which you specifically want to be involved in helping you know, meet our mission and vision? Um, in fact, I'm going to give some practical ways you could do that. Maybe you want to be involved in a particular way or a way that we don't even mention this morning. And what questions do you have regarding our mission and vision? Uh, and if you answer any of those last two, it would be great to, for us to have those. And if you want to put your name on that and put that at the back table, uh, we'll get those and, and, and take a look at them. All right, let's get into this. First one. Next-gen focused. Next-generation focused. This is one of those ones I was smiling at uh, this week because three years ago when we talked about it, my first point on this was more than two-thirds of our current congregation is 60-plus, is over 60 years old. Uh, and if you remember when we talked about that, I said that's not a bad thing. That's actually a very, very good thing that we have that rootedness, but uh, that we needed to be thinking about the next generation and how to meet the needs of the next generation. And then a couple of years ago, I updated this to about half of our current congregation is 60 plus, and that was true at that time, right? And we were like, well, that's just a blessing. Like, God did that for us, which is so, so cool, but we st still need to be investing in the next generation. But now that has to go away because now this is probably the more accurate thing to put in here, which is that we are a multi-generational church, and we, we are that. We are a church where there's pretty, uh, I mean, if we look at demographics, we're, we have a lot of equity among the generations, right? We might be a little slim in the 20-somethings, right? But other than that, we are pretty, you know, well-distributed, right? But that doesn't neglect the fact that we still need to be thinking about the next generation, that we want to be a place in which the older generations are building into the younger generations. I've been around, uh, I've mentioned this a couple times when we've talked about this, I've been around ministries in which, like church plants and things like that, which are amazing, uh, but a lot of times church plants, what's difficult about them is that they may bring in a lot of young families to be together and, and, and kind of join together in this mission, but then they don't have the older generations to build into the younger generations, and a lot of times those ministries are, are missing some very key elements of ministry. And we, we have a wealth of the older generations here that can build into the, the younger generations, which is an amazing gift from God that we have that. And so we want to be a multi-generational church, and we are that, where the older generations are building and investing into the younger generations. 
Churches fold up every year, and the great majority of those churches age out. Not all, but the great majority of them do. And we could always just be that church. We could go right now, okay, we like this. Let's stick with this. Let's not change anything. Let's just think about us and what we want, and let's just stick with it. And we can watch our ship get older and older and older and older and older and older and and fade away. We could do that. Or we could choose to sometimes give up our own preferences and our own traditions and the things that we like so that we can lean into the next generation and build into the next generation. And that's the kind of church we choose to be, we're choosing to be. And I hope you see the, the, the wisdom in that. So, some ways we will do that. Hopefully you can see that. I didn't mean to zoom out on that. But it says, we will tend toward the styles and modes of younger generations in non-essential matters. Really important. Uh, of course, you, you read a statement like that, and the immediate thought is, okay, what are essential matters, right? If we're going to decide, okay, we can change non-essential things, what's essential? Well, I'll just give you a couple of examples here. So this is just a, a, a screenshot of our website that shows our statement of faith. You can go through our statement of faith, and the elders would tell you those things are non-negotiable for this church. Those things are essential. Those things we will stand on till our last breath. And those things are not going to ever be modified or changed or downplayed for any reason ever. The clear teaching of Scripture will not be downplayed or modified or, you know, let's just keep this part kind of uh, out of the, the, the central focus because we don't want to offend. No, 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 we're never going to do that. That's not who we are. But when we're thinking about the next generation, we might think about the fact that 5% of Gen Z, uh, I'm sorry, Gen X, uh, identify as LGBTQ, okay, one of those, um, those, those letters, right? 10% of millennials identify themselves as LGBTQ, 21% of Gen Zers identify themselves as LGBTQ, that's one in five. And so what's interesting is that we live in that culture, and I think we're aware of that culture, right? But about 42% of those who identify themselves as LGBTQ also identify themselves, self-identify themselves as Christian. Okay, 42% self-identify as LGBTQ and Christian, both of those things. So maybe... If we're going to lean into the next generation and meet the needs of the next generation, we should find ways to celebrate and encourage the LGBTQ community, right? Because that's the next generation. And if we're going to lean into that, we need to probably, you know, embrace that lifestyle in the name of reaching them. The problem is... The Bible is very, very clear. I mean, some people will say it is not clear. They're selling you a a load of goods. It is very clear. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, which is a euphemism for, for sexual relationship. The clear teaching of Scripture over and over and over and over again is that God made sexual behavior for one man, one woman for life. That is the only place that sexual behavior belongs, any sort of sexual behavior. And so to encourage something apart from that, to embrace something apart from that, with the, the idea of like, we're loving the millennial generation, we're loving the Gen Z generation, where one in five of them self-identify that way, is actually doing the opposite of loving them. Well, we're saying we're loving them. That's not love. Because we're, tell, we're telling them, hey, go pursue this thing which is not good for you. Awesome. Hurt yourself, awesome. Hurt each other, awesome. When the best sex, the only good, holy, true, pure sex is one man, one woman for life. It's the only good place. That's the only proper place from it, from from God's perspective. And God created us. I think his perspective matters. 
Mark 10.6 says, But from the beginning of creation, God created them male and female. Psalm 139 says, For you created my innermost parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. In God's infinite wisdom, we might think he's wrong, but if it's between him being wrong and me being wrong, I think we know who's wrong, right? In his infinite wisdom, he created each person male or female. He did that. He handcrafted every part of every person exactly the way he wanted it. And that should not inspire shame or envy of someone who has different parts than I have. It should not inspire that. Instead, it should inspire awe and wonder. That's what he says here, right? Wonderful are, are, are those works. I, I should look at what God created and go, wow, God, this is awesome. Thank you for what you made me. You made me male. Thank you. Regardless of how I feel, right? Regardless of my perceptions of how I feel about myself, I should instead have awe and wonder. And, and so out of love for the next generation, we should not be trying to encourage people to, to, to hate this thing that God has made, or, or to think somehow there was a mistake in something God has made, but we should be inspiring them to, to look at themselves with awe and wonder and go, thank you, Lord. Regardless of how I feel, thank you, Lord. And by the way, gender dysphoria is a real thing that we should have compassion for and love for. Someone struggling with that, struggling with the intense feelings of not feeling like they're the sex they were born with. That is a hurtful, hard, difficult thing to go through. We should have compassion for that, not contempt. But we also should not say, you know what, because you feel that way, you should hate the way God made you. In fact, you should probably change the way God made you. No, 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 that's not love. That's not love. Those percentages, you know, 10% of millennials, 21% of Gen Zers, they need to hear the truth about themselves. That's what they need. Out of love, they need to hear that. And, and we, it's not loving to reinforce the lies that they might have been believing or that other people have been telling them. We should not reinforce that. Instead, we should love them where they're at by speaking truth to them where they're at. Which, by the way, we should all want to be loved that way, right? Because how many times have we been thinking something wacky that we need someone else to go, hey, that's wacky. <laughs> like, let's correct that. We need truth. Speaking clearly on God's perspective and equipping ourselves for how to understand people who are struggling with that and love people who are struggling with that and reach out to them. What's crazy to me, I guess it makes sense, but it's still crazy to me, is that 77% of Gen Z and uh, millennial Christians, young believers, 77% say the church needs to be more inclusive of LGBTQ, the LGBTQ perspective. No, we don't. What we need to do is learn how to love people who are struggling with sin, struggling with a lack of understanding of who God has made them, right? We need to find out how to love them and care for them, and it's not by embracing them and, and encouraging self-harm. So do we compromise here? No, never. But by the way, by saying that, we need to understand what we're saying. It is easier to say that today than it will be five years from now. 
It's easier to say that today than it will be 10 years from now and 15 years from now and 20 years from now. And guys, it's only going to get harder in here to hold to the essentials. But I can tell you our leadership is committed to that. To the point where it hurts us and it's going to start hurting us more than it's already hurting us now. But we're committed to that. So, where do we compromise? Not here. But we can compromise on paint colors, right? We can compromise on the order of service. We can compromise on music styles and lighting styles. And we can compromise on, you know, bringing modern approaches to things into uh, the church, like uh, rich visual media, that kind of stuff, instead of you know, transparencies. Anybody remember those little, like, the little transparency sheets? You know, I used to use one of those, and it projects up. uh, I remember doing worship in youth group, and and you'd stick it on there, we'd sing the song, and, you know, we'd have someone, a student assigned to doing that, flipping that that page, right? Man, I'm old. But, you know, rich, rich media, uh, important. Moving from, uh, from, from phone prayer chains, anybody remember those, you know, where like, uh, you call me, oh, okay, and then I call the next person, and they call the next person, right? Uh, you know, moving to uh, social media and texting and those uh, sorts of, of mediums that, that people use, right? Moving from CDs and tapes, which we don't do, but we did do when I first came here, to podcasts and, uh, and Facebook streaming and that stuff, which we're doing right now. And our own church app, which you guys all have and use. Yeah? Good, good. So um, doing those kind of things. I think of, when I think about this stuff, I actually th- I think about this guy, Chuck Smith. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chuck. Chuck Smith decided during the you know, the hippie times when there was this movement of hippies deciding, you know what, Jesus is the way and I'm going to follow him. He was in a very conservative uh, church and he, and he said, you know what, Where while most churches were saying, yeah, we want you to come in, come on in, come on in, come on in, but you need to cut your hair and you need to change your clothes, and you maybe need to take a shower before you come to church, right? Like, they, they, they were going, yeah, come on in, but you need to become like us. He decided, you know what? Just come. Come, come dirty. Come without cutting your hair. Come in your bell bottoms, right? Yeah, I know you're still figuring out how to get off of weed, but we'll figure that out, right? Come in, because you love Jesus, we love Jesus, and we want to do this thing together, and we want, to, we want to reach your friends who don't know Jesus yet. And he created a revolution with that. I admire that. Now, I don't agree with all of Chuck Smith's theology and all that stuff, but I admire that. Leaning into the next generation and going, you know what, it might make me a little uncomfortable that this person next to me smells, but I can be uncomfortable if it means loving and caring for the next generation. Of 18 to 35-year-olds, 35% of them, that's a third of them, who are believers, these are 35% of Christians, of young Christians, say that they do not connect well with the church. A third. That should not happen. Uh, Roughly about a third say they don't fit in in their church community. That should not happen. I mean, at least the way I read that, I'm thinking the reason you don't fit in is because church communities have generally said, we're comfortable, we're going to lean into ourselves And so if you don't quite fit in, well, you need to just try to fit in with us. Does that sound like service? Self-sacrifice? No. Like, we should be thinking, how can I give up my comfort to meet you and to love you well? Along that same trend, one and three of young believers, only one in three say they have someone in their life that believes in them. That means two-thirds have not a single person in their life that they can say, that person believes in me, wants to build into me. 
we got to do something about that, right? I mean, we can't do that. We can't do, we can't change the whole church, right? But we can do something about that here. We can make sure young believers here know that we care about them and we want to build into them and, and that this is a place where they can connect and they can fit in what's going on here. And so we want to lean into the next generation. Last one here is we want to focus on generational discipleship. Because it's not just about the younger generations feeling like this is a place for them. We want them to feel that. But also, that's to lead into generational discipleship, right? That's to lead into the older building into the younger. Creating real relationship opportunities between age groups. Getting our our 60-plusers having conversation, real conversations with our 20-somethings. That's what we want to try to create. And so when we think about this one, there's some uh, kind of philosophical ideas that we'll just throw out here. Here, uh, The first one is um, authentic, authenticity over polish. The younger generations place a lot of, of value on genuineness, on being genuine. I remember um, I was leading a lot of worship in the, in the 90s, and I thought that actually might be something I wanted to do. And uh, I remember having conversations in those, in those days uh, about the fact that, you know, you got to make sure when you're singing songs, like the worship team, you got to make sure you, like, you're smiling, right? And you, have, you, have, you look like you're worshiping, right? Like, I, you may not be worshiping, but at least appear like you're worshiping, right? Because other people need to know that, you're, that, that it looks like you're worshiping. People don't want to see you up there being all, like, serious and stuff. So, so smile and stuff. Like, like that is not, that's not going to meet the younger generations. That's sort of putting on a face because you're supposed to, that sort of thing. Nah, it doesn't click with them at all. Instead, it's, it's genuineness. Now, polish is not a bad thing for the younger generations, but it doesn't trump authenticity, right? Quality does matter to the younger generations, but authenticity matters more. Relationship over ritual. Ritual is not, is not bad. It's also it's, it's not bad for the younger generations. In fact, there's, there's been kind of a swell in, in interest in the younger generations um, over liturgy and things, which kind of fell out, out, of, out of favor for a while. But there's younger generations who are, who are kind of keying into liturgy, which is, is really based on ritual. It's, it's lots of ritual. Uh, ritual is not bad, but it's prioritizing relationship over ritual. Prioritizing being a community of deep relationships over a community of religious practice. And, 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 and some of these things you might go, yeah, I, I, I prioritize that too. That's good. That's good. But as we're thinking about the next generation, this is definitely something that's important to them. By the way, this all comes from a massive study that Barna did years ago. Impact over institution. The younger generation's care about the impact of a ministry over whether, uh, you know, a, a church has been established for a long time, right? That's why church plants work well with younger generations. It, it's less important. See, the previous generations, it, it, there was something about kind of the multi-generational family that went to the same church over generation, over generation, over generation, over generation. The Penners are a great example of that, right? Um, that, 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 that really, really mattered. And now that doesn't matter so much because it's, it's not about whether I'm at the same place my grandparents were at. What matters more is what's my church doing How's, how is my church impacting both me and others? We see this with the, the, the rise of activism in the younger generations, right? They, they want to be a part of something, be a part of a movement that makes an impact. So these are some philosophical things to, to, to think about. Here are some practical ways in which this works out Here. Musically strong and modern worship singing. Modern worship singing and worship nights. 
10 of the top 20 Christian bands are worship bands, right? This is the music that the younger generations are listening to. They're listening to good, well-produced music that is worship. And so we, we lean into that. We want to do more modern stuff. Yeah, you've probably noticed that we do a lot of modern worship, right? We're leaning that direction. That's intentional. That's, that's not just something that happened. We're, that's an intentional choice on our part. The children's wing back there, and this was years ago that we decided to do this, but we put all the kids into one wing of the church, and we have a check-in system there. Well, the reason for that, if you, if you look at the statistics, that... 50% of 18 to 35-year-old parents, their top worry of all the worries that they have, their top worry is that their child might be abducted, which is crazy, right? I mean, children aren't abducted very often, right? But that's their top worry. Well, I think we need to meet that need, right? And so uh, our children's ministry has gotten much larger than what it was, but even when we had six kids back there, we were checking them in because we wanted that not to even be a thought for the parents. Like the only person that can check my kid in is me. The only person that can check my kid out is me. We're good. Thinking about those, those sorts of things. Having strong children's and youth ministries, we prioritize those things here over other ministries, honestly. We can't be all things to all people. We emphasize those ministries because we want to be a place that young families can feel like, hey, my kids have something quality to be a part of. So we're constantly thinking about how to make those ministries more quality. And you can think about those of us who have now adult kids, I'm, I'm just graduating into that, that group, who maybe don't have young kids, but you can remember when you had young kids, you were really thinking about that, right? You were thinking about, man, I, I want to make sure my kids have something solid. In fact, there's a number of people in this church that will tell you they came to this church because they wanted something solid for their kids. We want to continue to be a place that that's true of, even though it's hard sometimes, right? We don't always have the resources that, that we need for that. But we are always leaning into that, always pushing into that to make sure we have something quality in, the, in those age groups. Renovating the facilities. Uh, we continue to renovate. It's a slow process, but we're getting there. And, and part of the renovation, a big part of the renovation is updating our facilities to make this a place that where younger generations feel like it's a place for them, Right? Your idea, whatever your idea is. What I want to emphasize throughout this whole morning is there's a small group of people who make a lot of these decisions and who are setting out vision and stuff like that. And I do a lot of that kind of stuff, and that's, that's good. I'm fine doing a lot of that kind of stuff. But, but we're a limited group, and I'm a limited person. We need your idea. The thing that you brought maybe from another church that you're like, hey, I think this would work well in our vision. Help us meet our vision goals if we did this. We need your idea. We need you stepping up and maybe even leading that thing. Or if you're not going to lead it, give us the idea. Help us out with it. How can we better do this thing of leaning into the next generation? Because we're not there yet. We'll probably never get there. But how can we lean more into that? All right, on to the second one. Community-driven. Been in a number of churches at this point. This would be my fourth church that I've served in, uh, at, in on a full-time basis. And I've seen different models of ministry, not only in the churches I've served in, but I've always been connected to other pastors and other ministries. And there's, there's usually two primary models. There is the professional staff-driven church model, and there is the, the body ministering to one another model. You can probably guess which one I'm critical of and which one I'm a fan of. I don't think it's bad to have professional staff. I mean, I'm obviously a professional staff person, right? I get paid to do what I'm doing. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's benefits for that. I would like at some point to add another staff person to our staff here. I think that would really help us out in certain areas. I think there's a good, that's a good thing, adding that on. But I'll tell you, the first place I ever served in full-time ministry was the church I grew up in. That church had like 15 staff people, or like 12 pastors, and like 20, I don't know. We had a lot of people on, on staff, okay? But that church was constantly thinking about how to empower the body for ministry. It was not staff-driven. Although at times in leadership, we had that conversation, are we becoming too staff-driven? Are we becoming too much where the ministry just revolves around the paid staff? 
We want to be a place that that is not the thing. That the thing is, and, and part of this is, is, is this is the model we see in, in, in the Bible, right? It's the, it's the body doing the work of ministry. Us being a place where the community builds into one another. We each build into one another as we use our gifts with one another. And so, here are some things on that. First one is, we want to create many opportunities for and connections between people at the church, uh, within the church building and outside of the church building. The church is, is not somewhere I go, although we, we come here, right? It's who we are, right? And, and so it's not just this Sunday morning thing that, that, that the church should be. It should be seven days a week, us connecting with each other, you know, inside and outside of the church. So much so that the church, the ideal is that the church would be the place where if we lost this thing, that it would, it would be a real loss, because it's not just this place I show up and I listen to a message and I go home. It's a place I come to and I'm a part of the community. And that to lose that would be a real loss in my life. And I would say for many of us, that is absolutely what this place is. In fact, there are a couple of people recently that are moving on, that are moving to other areas. And, and, and it's, <laughs> it's heartbreaking to have the conversations, but I'm excited about the conversation. It's kind of a weird thing that they are heartbroken that they have to leave, right? Like, you understand, like, I don't want them to be heartbroken, but I'm glad they're heartbroken. Does that make sense? Like, like that's, that's what we should be, is a community that's so knit together that, it, that, that this is our family, right? And to have to move for whatever reason would be like losing our family. We want to be that place. We want to create an atmosphere on a Sunday morning, uh, on Sunday mornings of participation. Now, that's difficult because our model of church ministry in the 21st century, and it has been for a long time, is really a giver-receiver model, right? What we're doing right now, I'm giving, you're receiving, right? Like, this is the model that we're used to in the church. Uh, but as much as we can, we want to create a place, uh, an atmosphere of participation here. And I've tried some things, uh, some of you know, I've tried some things that just did not fly in the past to try to integrate this more. Um, I don't even try to use the word pods anymore because pod, you know, pods were just a bad thing. But we want to find ways, continue to find ways. I still think pods would be great, but we're not going to do them. Of participation, Okay of moving from this giver-receiver model, which has to be a part of what we're doing. I think there's profit here, right? But where, where we're also giving to each other and receiving from each other. Now, the latest iteration of that also is not working very well, in my opinion, and in the opinion of some others. The latest iteration of that is the cafe, Right? So the goal is that we would come together, we would spend time in God's word, and that we would, uh, we would exit down the hallway to the cafe down there. We would get some food, which food is awesome and it's good and it's, yeah, we want that, but that's not about food. I don't know if you figured this out yet. It's not about food, although the food's good and it's hard not to make it about the food, right? But, the, but, 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 but it is, it's not about the food, and, and we sit down at these tables and we have conversations about what's going on in our families and stuff, which is awesome because fellowship is great, but that is not about fellowship. It, fellowship can happen, and that's good, but that's not what that's about. That is about having spiritual conversations over what we talked about in the service. That's why that exists, is to have this community-driven thing in which it's not just, you know, whatever passage we're looking at at a particular morning, morning it's not just me communicating the truths of the, those, that passage. It's us having conversations over those truths with one another because I'm telling you, if we had those conversations on a regular basis, I bet more and more and more there would be, we would be able to say to one another, yeah, you know what, you know, Nate was fine or whatever, but you know where I really, the thing that really stuck with me is what Mike said at the cafe. Though That's what that's about. 
But you've noticed, I mean, you guys know me well enough now that, I, that I'm not going to be a hardliner about that stuff, right? But I, but I just want you to understand the heart behind it and encourage us to go, hey, maybe when I go back to the cafe today, maybe I need to be helping our vision by steering the conversation from the fact that I was sick this last week, which how many of us were sick in the last two weeks? I mean, it's crazy how much sickness is going on, right? But, but that I, would, we, I would try to steer, steer the conversation toward the, the, the message. Because that's what it's about. That's why we did that. Now, there, of course, there's secondary benefits that come from that too, right? Next one. Creating opportunities for edification from the many different gifted people in our body. I'm not going to go over all of these passages because I think we've gotten this idea. We talked a lot about it last week. The only way the church is built up is when each one of us is doing our part. And so what we want to try to do here is create opportunities for you to minister. Because you are a minister, we need to give you space to minister, right? And find ways to help you to minister to one another. That it's only when we're working together with each individual part causing the growth of the body that the body really grows up to its potential. And I don't think we're growing up to our potential at this point. That there's not just one part of the body, which is usually typically considered this guy or the people that are singing up here, but there are many parts of the body that are all meant to minister to one another. And if we focus on one part of the body and forget the other part of the body, it's, it's not going to be good. It'd be like focusing on one part of your body and ignoring the rest of your body, not taking care of the rest of your body. It's not going to go well. And Romans 12 also talks about that same thing. All right, some philosophical outworkings or philosophical ideas that come from this are family over business. Whether you've realized it or not, we try to be intentional about using family language, not business language. This is on our website. It says, the church from the earliest days viewed itself as a family. They did. You can see that all over the New Testament. That is what we strive to live and be at Grace Community Fellowship. We want to be about loving each other in a self-sacrificial way with Christ as the head of the family. Okay? We want to be about family. So we use family language over business language. You'll notice that we have family meetings, not business meetings. That are, are groups that kind of run ministries. We call them teams. We don't call them committees. And that's intentional. And you go, okay, that's just, you know, silly, you know, semantics or whatever. Okay, it might be silly semantics, but what we're trying to do is remind ourselves that we're a family, not a business. Because so many times, and again, I've just been around this a lot, so many times the church becomes an organization that is more business-like than it is family-like, and that is not the model we have in Scripture. It's, it's not. And it's easy for it to become like that, because honestly, the elders and the other leadership, like, we deal with issues that are sort of business-like a lot, right? And so we can be convinced, and we have to remind ourselves as the elders of this all the time, we can be convinced that really what we're here to do is to run a business and, and to see how this business can grow and, and all that kind of stuff. And when we do that, we're completely missing the purpose of why we're here. And so you'll notice, like, we don't vote on a lot of issues because we want it less to be about voting and more about having conversations with one another in, in relationship. More about re relationship than about having, like, transactions with one another. One of the things we did, I guess it's been, I don't know, a year and a half now or so, is we started to have more of the family meetings, right, or just more, more often. And, and the intention behind that, and who knows whether it's doing this or not, is that we just want to be communicating more. We want to have more conversations to make sure that we're all talking to one another and giving you guys an opportunity to kind of be in the loop on a lot of things so you can question things and maybe help encourage a, a certain ministry to go a certain way or whatever. Like, we just want to have more conversations than being a business. Freedom over formality, that we want this, especially in here, to feel more like your family getting together at Christmas than it is about, you know, going to some lecture hall and hearing a lecturer speak. I don't know if we're totally there, but I hope we're closer to being there. It's part of the reason why we have the seating the way it is. So we just want it to feel more casual. I remember when we were going this way, I had multiple conversations with people who were like, I really had to go potty during the message, but I, I held it because I didn't want to get up because everybody looks at you, you know? And it's like, yeah, okay, we need to change that, right? This is just to be a place, like, 
at your Christmas family, you know, functions, you don't have, probably, you don't have people there. You're not thinking, oh, man, if I get up right now, like, the whole family's going to look at me. No one's thinking about that, right? Because you just get up and you go, right? Like, encouraging that sort of atmosphere. We want to be about that. This one I really care about, participation over passivity, that I'm convinced that just the model of church that we do these days, and I'm not looking to change the model, okay? It's just, it's just, it's just the way we do it, okay? But this model leans its, lends itself toward passivity, which means I'm just going to sit here and do nothing and just kind of get stuff, right? We want to be a place where it's participatory and find ways that we're all participating in this thing that we're doing. And that's the cafe, hopefully, is helping with that. All right, some practical outworkings of this. The cafe, I've mentioned that a number of times. Cafe, important. But regular social events, our events uh, team is awesome. They do, you know, our potlucks and our Christmas party and our, uh, you know, our ladies' tea. We're uh, getting ready to launch into some family game nights. Uh, you guys should definitely come to those. If you enjoyed it all, deal or no deal, we're going to go like a step above that at family game nights. Guess who's coming to dinner? We haven't done for a while, but those are coming up. Or, uh, you know, having meals at each other's houses. Our senior lunches that we have, like all of these things are really important to all of that. And by the way, what's great about looking through this list is that when we're talking about, uh, you know, a paid staff-driven church as opposed to a community-driven church, is that literally everything on this list here, I'm I'm not doing any of those things right? And that's a really, really, really good thing. Not because I want to get out of work. I work hard, okay? But because it's not the way it should be, right? The way it should be is it's all ministering to one another, right? So it's great. All church projects and work days, those are awesome if you're ever a part of them. I mean, not only are they, you know, changing the way our facilities look, but they're just fun and they create relationships. And, and if you're not on, the, the trustees have a text list that they, they text out to this group of people. If you're not on that list and you want to be a part of those things, talk to one of the trustees and say, hey, put me on that list and they'll add you to it. And then you'll know what's going on and, and, and they'll be able to, you'll be able to come connect and, and serve. Small groups are really key to this, right? A lot of this stuff is going on. A lot of this community-driven ministry is going on in those small groups. And if you're not a part of a small group, get a part of a small group. Engage. There's a bunch of them meeting on a bunch of different nights. I'm, I guarantee you, you can find one that works for you. And your idea, right? The thing we haven't thought of yet that's going to help us operate as a community-driven church, not as an, uh, a staff-driven church. Building disciples. This one, it won't take long because we've already been touching on these ideas. This is a definition from a book by a guy named Myron Rush. He says, disciplers or leaders or mentors are ones who recruit people to follow his example and guides them along the way while he is training them to do what he does. This is the vision we have for our church, that we would have a, a many people who are discipling many other people. That everyone would at least be in a, in a relationship where, where they're either a discipler or someone being discipled, or maybe you've got both of those things going on, where you're being discipled and you're discipling others. This is really key, not only to, to what we're doing now as a church, but to the future of our church. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of it, that we want to foster these discipleship relationships. So... We want to find ways as a church to make connections between disciplers and disciples, finding ways to do that. Part of that is what we're doing in the cafe right now. Part of that is what we're doing in small groups. So my encouragement to you, just a couple of practical things is, join a small group and be discipled and be discipling. Go to the cafe, enjoy a great lunch, and sit with some people maybe you haven't sat with before or sit with some people you already have a relationship with in which you can be building into them. This is a really crazy idea I'm about to suggest, but, but maybe when you show up on Sunday morning, don't sit in the spot you've already sat in, always sat in. I'm just throwing that out. 
uh, I'm telling you, st- standing up here, I get up here every week, and I'm like, yep, everybody's lined up. Okay, good, right? Like, like, like everybody's still in the same spot they always are, right? But maybe I actually heard this story this week of a couple who decided as a couple, and they said they got a lot of kickback from this and controversy over it. They decided as a couple not to sit with each other on Sunday morning, which is like, ooh, whoa, hold on. But they actually wanted to actively be splitting up and going and sitting with others so that they could build into others. Wow, revolutionary idea, right? Like maybe I'll sit in a different quadrant every week. I know, I know. We're going radical now. All right, next one. Create specific opportunities and ministries for intergenerational discipleship. Okay, we want to encourage, we have this wealth of intergenerational wisdom. We want to create opportunities for that to happen. Small groups, you know, we'll talk about discipleship here in a second, but these kind of relationships, we want to build these things, okay? Working towards truly knowing others and being known. We want to be a place where you are known and you are seeking to know others well. This is on our website. It's now on our wall actually out there. Be known, be loved, be discipled. That's the kind of stuff we want to be about. I know there are some of you this morning who are like, you know what? I've been going to the church for a little while and I'm not known, really known. We need to do better. We need to do better. We need to do better at plugging you in to places where you can truly be known by others and be built into by others. But I will also encourage you, like that's our responsibility, right? But you also have a responsibility to, to um, connect yourself with these opportunities we've already, we already have, right? Get involved in a small group. I guarantee you, you will quickly be known, Right? There are so many things in Scripture that I am, you just cannot do these things unless you are known and you know people, right? How can you truly care for someone who you don't know, who you don't, under, you don't know what's going on with them? How can you build one another up if you don't know how to build one another up? How, do, how can you build someone up if you don't know, you know, whether they need a new bathroom expansion in their life or a new, you know, Kitchen range hood. I don't know. That's a weird example. But anyway, how can you know unless you know people, okay? And how can you be built into unless you let others know you? How can you correct one another, which is something we should be doing in the body? We don't do it very well in the 21st century, but we should be correcting one another. How can we be correcting one another if we don't know where, not failing, I mean failing is part of it, but where we're, we're kind of off, right? And need adjustment. Like you have to be known to, to be able to do these things. All right, here's some philosophical ideas here. Accountability over autonomy. Autonomy is the American way, right? I'm, I'm me, right? Uh, you do you, me do me, right? Like, that's not God's way. Accountability is God's way. That's why we need the church. In fact, I was just talking to someone this morning about those who choose and go, you know what, I don't need the church. I just have my personal relationship with God, right? That is not a biblical idea. You need the church. And, and a big reason why you need the church is you need to be accountable to people. A, a big criticism I have of church leadership are churches that are structured in which the guy here has no accountability. What is that? That is not good for the guy here at all. And not good for the church that that guy leads. No, you got to have accountability. you got to have people who are like, Nate, you're being an idiot right now. Okay, yep, I am, right? You need that couple verses that talk about that. James 5.16, look it up. We, we should be about doing that. Luke 17.3. Rebuke is good. Correction is good. All right. Depth over breadth. That we want to be about depth here. I was actually talking to someone else this week um, who doesn't go to, go to our church, thankfully, because uh, it would really bother me if she did. She said, I really like going to this other church because I can be anonymous. I just show up, nobody knows who I am, I go home, and I'm good with that. No, no, no. <laughs> like, that is not the church. That is not the church. And, and she's, she's worse off because of it, right? We want to be a place where this is about depth of relationship. Not about, hey, how big can we become so that we're all anonymous? No, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. We're, we're about depth. 
By the way, the younger generation wants deep relationship. Rooted over casual. That our relationships here are not casual relationships, but rooted deep relationships. I just got to spend the last three days with 11, 11, 11 other people in this body who I have a deep rooted relationship with. I love those people. And I'm so, I had a great three days. This is a good thing. We want those kind of relationships, right? Some practical outworkings of this. Small groups. I think I've said that enough at this point. Uh, wisdom panels. This is an opportunity uh, when we have them. We'll have one here coming up in a couple months uh, of those who have wisdom in our body sharing wisdom with the larger body. Women's ministries. We've got some good things going on with women's ministries. Uh, the ladies' tea is happening. I'd like to see more going on with women's ministries. Men's ministries. We have zero going on with men's ministries. I'd like something to be going on with men's ministries. But I will tell you this. Part of the reason I, I had conversations with people who were like, yeah, we really need some men's ministries. Yeah, that really needs to happen. And then they look up at me and they're like, so? And you know what I do? I look back at them and I'm like, So? Men's ministries is not my thing. Sure, I could do it, but that's putting a square peg in a round hole. I'm not going to do those kind of things. But I will support you to the hilt if you're ready to do some men's ministries. <laughs> because we need it. Need it very badly. Discipleship 100, we started that this year. I'm so excited about that. Got about 10 people who are going through that. Uh, it has been so good. Um, ask the people who've been going through it. Uh, don't take it from me. Uh, it's been really good to be together. And the whole purpose of that ministry, Wednesday nights, 6.30 to 8.30, join anytime like this Wednesday. Come on, 6.30. Okay, um, join anytime. The whole purpose of that is to be building disciples who build disciples. The whole goal is that these 10, after this year, would be working on thinking about ways that they're going to go and disciple others, either using the material we're covering or doing something else. And we're going to talk a lot about that. That is the point of that ministry. And we're going to continue to do that and lean into that because uh, I think that's going to be critical to the future of what our church is doing. Okay. Whew, last one. Oh my gosh, 11.37. Okay, flexible. This one's really easy because it's really straightforward, right? One of our vision priorities is flexibility, which says this, what has been done before will not hinder us from what God is doing now and in the future. I absolutely, we absolutely reject the assumption that because something was effective in the past, that it's something we must be doing today or that it will be effective today. That is not necessarily true. It might be true. There might be something that happened in the past that would be very effective today, and we need to bring that back. But there's no assumption that because it was effective before, that it would be effective now. Or because we've always done it this way, that we need to continue to do it this way. A quick example of this, because it's always what I, I think of with this. In the, in the church I grew up in, we had this thing called Sweet Sounds of Christmas. It was, it was awesome. It was this production that was done every year. It was an opportunity to bring people from the community into our church body and, and see this pr production. There was always a gospel message given. It was just an opportunity. Like I would buy a table of tickets, and then I would invite my friends to fill up this table, my, my unbelieving friends to fill up this table and go watch the show, right? And it was super effective. It was great for years. I mean, it was awesome. Melissa and I were a part of it a number of years. What happened is the leadership of that ministry left. They, they moved to Southern California. And there was a hole that was left there in that leadership. And they kind of continued on for a couple of years and, and it sort of pieced it together for a couple of years. But I remember being a part of the leadership conversation in which we were like, why in the world are we still doing Sweet Sounds of Christmas? The people who were driving this for years are gone. It's, it's a shell of what it was. Why are we continuing to do it? And the only answer the leadership could come up with is, we've always done it or we've been doing it, right? That is not a good reason. And by the way, the leadership decided it wasn't a good reason, and we axed it. It was an amazing ministry. We didn't have the right people for it at that, at that time. So flexibility. We are willing to change when change is needed. And this is not change for change, change's sake. That's not what we're talking about here. Change just because change is what we want to do. No. This is we're willing to change when we see it as beneficial. 
We're willing to change if we think there's a more effective way to do what we're doing. But what's hard is change requires effort. And change is a little uncomfortable. If you like the way things are going now, change is always a little uncomfortable. And we always like the way things are going now most of the time, right? At least a little bit. But we're going to be a church that chooses flexibility, that chooses to do the next thing when it's time to do the next thing. And there's going to be a next thing. Philosophical outworking. Risk over retreat. It is so much easier to stay in place. So much easier. But we're going to choose to risk to take that step out on something that might completely fail and we're going to fall flat on our faces. That's the risk, right? But that's okay. We're not failing. We're not trying, right? We should be risking. We should be stepping out, especially if we think we need to be doing something, okay? Pods are a great example. Did that fall flat on its face? Seemed to. But that's okay. We're going to keep trying, right? Effectiveness over traditionalism. This is not a rejection of tradition, Let's be really clear about that. This is a rejection of traditionalism, which is what has been traditionally done, or we're going to keep traditions because traditions in and of themselves are good, even when they're no longer the best way to do a certain thing. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to choose effectiveness, what is effective. And if what's traditionally been done is the effective thing, let's keep doing the traditional thing, okay? We're always going to be pursuing what is most effective now. Nimble over sluggish. Uh, I won't go too deep into that, but we're gonna, we, we want to create structures that make it easy for us to change when we need to change. Instead of structure, structures that, that are like a big, massive you know, ship that takes forever to get going the way it needs to go. No, we, we want to create structures that are, that are uh, more nimble than that. Practical outworking. We're almost there. Whew. Regular renovation projects, obviously we're doing that. To update the facility to meet the current needs of our ministry. I will say this, this is going to be completed at some point, right, in, in 2050. No, no, just kidding. It's going to be completed sooner rather than later. But when it's completed, we're not done, right? We're always going to be thinking about ways to update our facility. It's, it's just going to be a constant thing. It's part of our ministry goals, okay? Make sure our facilities meet our ministry needs. Ministry leaders and their teams evaluating the effectiveness of their ministries. I have these conversations on a regular basis with people who are in charge of ministries. A lot of times when there's frustrations, and they're like, I'm really frustrated because this is not working. I'm like, well, why are you still doing that thing? Let's do something different, right? Like we have those kind of conversations so that we're always focused on effectiveness, right? And it's okay to get rid of things that, that are not working. I'm just going to end with this. This is not my vision for the church. This is not the elder's vision for the church. This is our vision for our church. And so we need you to be thinking about how can I be a part of this vision? How can I be a part of making this vision a reality for us? Because this is where we're wanting to go and what we're wanting to lead into. So please be thinking about that. Please be having conversations about that, maybe in the cafe. And let's just keep trying to lean into what God has for us here. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for the, our time this morning, uh, even though I went long. Lord, thank you that, that we do have these clear vision priorities. Thank you for kind of aligning these for us. Lord, help us just to find ways to minister more effectively, to be doing what we're called here to do. And in all of it, that it wouldn't be about us, it wouldn't be about our great ideas or whatever, that it would completely be about the work of your Spirit. Because you're the only one that can really change hearts and change lives, and we just want to create an atmosphere for that. So help us to find ways to do that and to depend on you as we're, um, as we're stepping out in faith um, on ways to do that. Pray this all in your name.